I do want to say this before we get going. The Apostle Paul, in a lot of the epistles, maybe you don't know this, maybe you do know this, the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds in the New Testament, so homie was constantly writing when he was in prison. And he wrote us a lot of letters. And when he was writing a young pastor by the name of Timothy, he wrote him this in 2 Timothy. He said, let the word of God reprove people, rebuke people, and encourage people. So two-thirds of what he told Timothy to do with God's word was correcting people. Reproof means to show what God disapproves of in their lives. Uh, rebuke means that we're going to be rebuked from the word of God. And then encouragement, we're going to be encouraged from God's word. The last couple of weeks, we've been a little bit heavy on the reproof and the correct side of things. And we're going to continue to do that tonight. And you guys are going to, you're going to help me, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I do want to say this before we dive into it. When, when you read God's word or when you go to church, there, there's really two main things you should get from God's word about your life personally. There's so much that we can get from God's word about what Jesus has done for us, what we've been delivered from, what we've been saved to, what we've been saved from. But when you look in what the Bible calls this mirror, which is God's word, it will ideally show you two things. Number one, it'll show you who you're not supposed to be. And then number two, it will show you who you are supposed to be. And so anytime you read God's word, you're seeing one of those two things concerning your life, who you're not supposed to be and who you are supposed to be. And so we're looking at Proverbs chapter six, and we'll just start it. And when we look at Proverbs six, we can see some things that we're not supposed to be. Everyone say not supposed to be. And when we identify those things in our lives, it allows us to focus on what we are supposed to be. And so we'll just read it and then we'll do a little bit of review because maybe some of you weren't here last week. And then we'll jump into tonight's topic and it's going to be wonderful. We'll start in chapter 6, verse 12. It says, here's a description of worthless and wicked people. So I definitely don't want to be that. They are constant liars, signaling their true intentions with their, to their friends by making signs with their eyes and their feet and their fingers. Their perverted hearts plot evil. They stir up trouble constantly, but they will be destroyed suddenly, broken beyond hope, beyond the all hope of healing. Verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, no seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord among the brothers. So last week we talked about haughty eyes and we looked at what haughty eyes is and essentially you can break it down to being something very, very simple that you see from Genesis to Revelation. It's pride. Everyone say pride. And we're not supposed to be full of pride. And, and sometimes the teaching of God's word uh, can accidentally make us prideful because when you read God's word, you see about what Jesus has done for you. You see what he's promised to you. You see what you can have as you walk in God's word. And without even knowing it, we read scriptures and there's these two words that are going around a lot and we make it eisegesis instead of exegesis. Eisegesis means we're making the word about us. Exegesis means the word is about him. The word Word is always about him. And we looked at two prime examples of pride. Number one was Satan. And we looked at Isaiah where it says that his pride, because he said, I will have a kingdom. I will do this. I will place myself above God. I, 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 I. And he got into pride. And the Bible says that pride got him cast out of heaven like a bolt of lightning, right? And then we looked at another example of pride. It was Eve and how Satan deceived her in the garden. And she was filled with pride. And we talked about the critical mistake that she made. You all remember what it was? She reached for for the creation instead of reaching for the creator. Like I said, like the Your life 
is supposed to be all about reaching for your creator. And if you will reach for your creator, he'll make sure you have all the creation you need. We see this in Matthew 6, It says, seek ye first King God and his righteousness, and then all, someone say all, and then all, come on, someone say all. all. And then all these things will be added to you. So God is saying, just focus on your creator and I'll make sure you have the creation. And so it's really simple. We focus on him. And so we've got to be sure that we don't get over into pride. And we talked about this. A lot of Christians have made Jesus their excuse instead of their reason. And we looked at what that means. Well, Jesus has to forgive me. And since Jesus has to forgive me, I'm going to let him be my excuse. And I can go ahead and do this thing that he disagrees with because he has, I can go ahead and smoke weed because I know he has to forgive me. And at that moment, you've made him your excuse instead of your reason. I want Jesus to be my reason. Jesus has delivered me from sin. And when he's my, he's my reason, I'll no longer have that. I want to smoke weed. Go on now. When Jesus is my reason, see, I've been delivered from watching pornography. So instead of saying, well, he has to forgive me, let me just go ahead and watch this on my phone or on my computer. No, he's my reason. And since Jesus is my reason, I don't watch those things. So Jesus, Jesus needs to be our reason. And not, when he's our reason, we'll worship him the way he's uh, supposed to be worshiped. We'll honor him the way he's supposed to be honored. Someone say, he is my reason. And not, my excuse. and not my excuse. And then finally, this is the final bullet point for our review. We looked at how pride is not necessarily saying I don't need God. Pride is saying my ways are better than God's. Amen. And TJ was excited about that last week too. I appreciate your support, brother. We have to be careful that we don't get into this place to where we think our ways are better than God's ways. We have to be careful to where we don't get in, fall into this trap where we think we know more than the infinite God. Amen. He has all wisdom and he has all understanding. And the Bible even talks about how he knows your future better than you know your past. What does that mean? He knows your tomorrow better than you know your yesterday. So God has infinite wisdom. And so we have to make sure that we don't say my ways are better than your ways because that gets us into trouble. So this week, what I want to focus on is I want to focus on being a false witness that pours out lies. That word right there, false in the Greek, means deception, disappointment, falsehood, and betrays one. When we live a life that is a false witness, now what does that mean? When we stand up and say we love Jesus, but we live a life that, that he disapproves of, we're being a false witness witness. Or you could say it this way, we're being hypocritical. And when we're hypocritical, we don't bring any glory to the God that we serve. And when we're being hypocritical, we do what the Pharisees and Sadducees did in the New Testament. They cut themselves off from the power of God, meaning Jesus can't do anything in our lives when we're living as a false witness. It cuts us off and excludes us from the power of God. In order for us to have the power of God, we must be true disciples and a true witness of the God that we serve. Everyone say a true witness. And so I want to look at this. When it comes to a false witness, they're usually guilty of three major sins or doing three major things wrong. We're going to list them and then we'll look at them individually. Number one, they live for themselves. Number two, they mock God. And number three, they stir up discord. Amen. All right. So number one, they live for themselves. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said this to his disciples. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Do you see what he said right there? You must deny yourself. Amen. 
We need to get better at teaching this in the American church. Amen. To really follow after him. And I'm so proud of you guys because maybe some of you didn't want to come to church tonight, but you decided to deny yourself. You decided to deny what you wanted to do and what your flesh wanted to do, and you came to church. Now, maybe some of you, your parents didn't give you a choice, and I applaud them for not giving you that choice, but some of you are old enough to drive, and you did get to choose, and you chose rightly. You said, I'm going to go ahead and deny myself, and I'm going to go to church, even though maybe I'm not feeling it, even though maybe I don't have that desire. It's not necessarily something I want to do, but it's the right thing to do, and it's always the right time to do what is right, according to Martin Luther King. I love that phrase, right? And even in the scriptures, it says, when somebody knows what is right and then they do not do it, it is sin unto them. So you chose right. You chose not to sin, but you chose God over yourself tonight. So go ahead and give yourself a round of applause. Very good. We've got to encourage ourselves when we do the right things. We've got to encourage yourself. But I want to use that simple illustration to prove unto you that you can do this. You can choose God over yourself. Amen. You can deny yourself and you can choose to follow after God. Go over to Titus. I've been reading through the New Testament and I was stumbled, I stumbled onto some things in Titus. It's an amazing book. I really love it. It says everything, and this is verse 15 out of chapter one, everything is pure to those who are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are defiled. Such people claim, look at this now, such people claim they know God but they deny him by the way they live. They're despicable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. And so he said that they claim they know God, but they deny him by the way that they live. I don't want to just claim that I know God, but I want to show the world that I know God by the way that I live. I want to be a true disciple. It's not about Robert standing up and saying, I know God. I want to stand up and show that I know God. And I wrote this down in my notes today. I said, your life and your actions prove who your God is. Your actions prove. Your actions prove if money is your God. Your actions prove, right? Your actions prove if you're your God. Your actions prove if Satan is your God. Our actions prove who our God really is. And this is why Jesus said you can judge a tree by its fruit or you can judge a human life by its actions. You can see who their God is simply by looking at the way that they live. So when I look at my life, I want to make sure that I'm not just claiming I know God, but you can clearly see fruit and evidence in my life that I'm his disciple, that I'm his follower. I want my life to be an example of what the scriptures teach us. I don't want to be a false witness. Now, we've got an interesting example of a false witness in Scripture, and his name was Judas. Amen. Judas over here in Luke chapter 22, verses 3 through 6, reading out of the Baron Study Bible, it says, Then Satan entered Judas's heart. Now, when you read that and it says uh, Satan entered Judas's heart, that doesn't mean that Satan came into him and consumed him and was just like, you know, just like I can make a weird demon noise. Ah! You know, it didn't like just jump inside of him and consume him. It simply means he yielded to the influence Amen. of Satan. Amen. We have to be careful whose influence we're yielding to. Right. And Satan's influence, the Bible calls him the prince of the air. His influence is all through the airwaves. 
It's in the music we listen to. It's in the things we watch on TV. It's in the things we see on the internet. His influence, he is the prince of the airwaves. His influence is everywhere. We have to be sure whose influence we're following because if we follow the wrong influence, just like the Bible says, bad company corrupts good morals. If we follow the wrong influence, that influence will corrupt us and will make compromising decisions. Here, Judas let Satan influence him. And when Satan influenced him, he got inside of him. And so it says, the one Satan entered Judas Iscarlet, who was one of the twelve. So this is interesting. This homie walked with Jesus. Amen. He was with Jesus. He was one of the twelve. Listen to me, friends. There is something to be said. There is a difference between being with Jesus and being committed to Jesus. Amen. Judas was committed to Judas. Judas said, I'm going to do what I perceive whew, to be best for me. Amen. Now, if you don't know this biblical account, how did that work out for Judas? Well, the Bible tells us that he ended up hanging himself. And that's really harsh. But it shows us this contract of when, this contrast of when we let God be God of our lives or when we choose to be God of our lives. Judas, even though, and it's so interesting, Jesus knew that Judas was a little sketch because when Jesus Jesus needed to do miracles, he always kind of left Judas behind. I don't want to be one of the disciples that Jesus needs to leave behind because he wants to do something good. I want to be a disciple that Jesus is like, I need something done. Yo, Robert, come with me. Right? And so what kind of disciple are you? (laughs) Are you the kind that Jesus says, I need a miracle. You stay here. I'm going on without you. Or are you the type of disciple that Jesus says, I need a miracle. Hey, you three with me. We're going to go heal this daughter. It's going to be amazing. Signs, wonders, and miracles. I can trust you. You're my real followers. You're listening to my word. You're living out this word. You're living your life the way you need to. So come with me. I want to be on that inner circle. Amen. And so we have to contend to be that in circle. And Judas went to, to, to discuss with the chief priest. Now, remember what it means to be false witness, a betrays or betrays one. To the chief priests and the temple officers that he might betray Jesus to them. Woo! How many times a day do we betray Jesus with our lives? Amen. Now, think about it. Just think about it. Let it be rhetorical. Serious discussions from God's word, who we're supposed to be, who we're not supposed to be. Because every decision we make, we're either choosing him or we're choosing us. I don't want to betray him with my life. I want to honor him with my life. You know one way to honor Jesus with your life? Cody and I were talking about this today. Y'all, I don't think we really get it. One day, we are going to stand before him to be judged by the mighty God. Amen. TJ's really feeling it tonight, y'all. <laughs> y'all leaving him out here by himself, but TJ's feeling it. One day, listen, uh, Cody was sharing this with me today. He watched this podcast last night or watched this YouTube. And uh, Francis Chan, if you've never watched any of his stuff, you should. He really has a way of putting stuff in perspective. But one day, listen to me now. This is interesting. One day, it's just going to be you and God. That's it. Your family won't be there. Your friends won't be there. It's going to be you 
and it's called the judgment day. And we're all going to be judged for this life that we, the church doesn't talk about this that much, but judgment day is coming and we don't know when it's coming. That's why I live my life every single day like it's happening now. Because we don't know if judgment is coming in an hour from now. We don't know if judgment's coming a hundred years from now. But judgment is coming, and the great judge is God Almighty. Amen. And he's going to judge everybody, not according to the actions of their pastor, not according to the actions of their parents. They're going to judge. He's going to judge everybody according to their actions. Someone say my actions. My actions. And in that moment, this is the way Cody described it today, and I was like, bro, that's on point. He's like, when I saw Francis Chan say that, I felt this big. Stand in front of an almighty God. Amen. Dude, he, you can't even describe him. I read Francis Chan's book called Crazy Love, and he paints God in this beautiful way. He talks about how the universe and how you can look through the Hubble telescope, and it's just continually, the universe is continually growing and continually expanding. But God lives beyond that. He's so great to explain himself. All he said was, I am. Amen. Meaning there's not enough descriptive words. And I told Cody this today. Every time he did something else for the Israelites, they added a new name. <laughs> Abraham was going to sacrifice his son. And then God provided a ram in the thicket. And then Abraham had this epiphany, this moment. He's like, whoa, you're a provider. Jehovah Jireh. My provider. Every time God did something amazing, they gave him another name. And there's not enough names to explain how awesome and how great and how brilliant and how huge he really is. But yet one day, all alone, you will stand in front of him. Amen. Just you and the mighty God. And the Apostle Paul explains it this way. He says, no one has an excuse for not believing in that God because all of creation points to him. The earth points to him. The mountains point to him. The birds point. Even your life points to him. You were created by a creator. Science didn't make you. Evolution didn't make you. God made you. And everything points to him. And one day... I'm going to be judged according to the things that I did in this life. Amen. Now listen to me. Judgment is not necessarily bad or good. Just which side of judgment are you on? Amen. Because some of us will stand before him and we're going to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant enter into rest. Well done. Well done. That's the good side of judgment. That's what I'm living for. The judgment seat of Christ to hear, well done. But there are others, and maybe even some in this room. You prophesied in my name. You prayed in my name. You went to church in my name. But I didn't even know you. And then the Bible says, he'll say, now get out before me. Amen. Someone say, my choice. And so we have these opportunities every single day to betray Jesus. We have these opportunities every single day to be a true witness or to be a false witness. And that decision is ours. Now, a little further down in Titus, we really got to pick up the pace here. It says this in verse 11. (laughs) It says, for the grace of our God has been revealed by bringing salvation to all people. I'm so grateful for salvation. He saved me from hell. He changed my life. He is awesome. Verse 12. And we're instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We live in this evil world with self-control, right conduct, and devotion to God. Someone say devotion to God. 
while we look forward to that wonderful event and the glory of the great God of our Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing what is right. So somebody who is a true witness, there's a few things they do. Number one, they turn from godless living. Number two, they leave sinful pleasures. Number three, they live with self-control, right conduct, and devotion to God. Devotion to God. Number four, they're totally committed to doing what is right. Now here's a rhetorical question, just think about it. So here's the question, who am I living for? Am I living for Robert or am I living for him? It's rhetorical, just think about it. Who am I living for? Put your own name in there. Am I living for Robert or am I living for him? All right, so that's number one. We don't want to betray God with our lifestyle. Number two, they mock God. We don't have time to go through all these scriptures, but 2 Timothy <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 15. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. All right. You should also know this, Timothy. You should also know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. That word right there, scoffing, means mocking. Amen. Over in Psalms chapter 1, it talks about not being a scoffer or a mocker of God. We looked at that word when we talked about David. It also means imposter. I don't want any imposter. Someone say, I'm not an imposter. I want to be a real disciple, all right? It says they will be boastful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. I don't know about you, but this looks an awful lot like today's society. They will consider nothing sacred. Verse 3. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others. They'll have no self-control. They'll be cruel and have no interest in what is good. They'll betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed off with pride. We talked about that last week. And love, pre- love pleasure rather than God. They will act as if they're religious, but they'll reject the power that can make them godly. You must stay away from people like that. Amen. Stay away from people like that. Amen. What, is it, what is he saying? Stay away from the fake people who mock God. Because the people who mock God, when they need God's power, is not available to them. Amen. It's just not available to them. I want God's power to be available to me. Amen? So in order for his power to be available to me, I can't be a mocker of God. Galatians chapter 6, 7 through 8 says, God, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap in return. The one who sows to please the flesh, what does that mean? When I'm trying to make Robert happy, from the flesh he'll reap destruction. But one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit he'll reap eternal life. And so I've got to be sure that with my life, and we talked about this a little bit last week, I'm not making fun of God during church, but then when there's a prayer line and I need something, I come down and I act holy and reverent. Amen. Can't receive nothing from a mighty God that way. Amen. Amen. And so we've got to live a life that is not mocking before the God that we serve. And then finally, this last one, and I want you to be very aware of this. They stir up discord. How do you conduct yourself at church? Are you a distraction to others? Are you disrupting the flow of service? Or are you coming in here and being genuine and worshiping God? And, and you know what? 
This is what I'll say about that. <clears throat> Just when I say worship God, I'm not saying you have to worship God the way I do. <laughs> you don't have to be bouncing around and clapping and shouting and, and doing the things I do. But at the same time, it's about coming in here and having a reverent and open heart towards God. Amen. I'm not stirring up discord. Amen. Here's a couple of scriptures for you. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 10. It says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony. Someone say harmony. harmony. To live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions. Where? In the church. And so Jesus knows that there's going to be all sorts of divisions out there in the world. Dude, Jesus is kind of raw. When you read in the, uh, the Gospels, he even talks about this. Jesus said this. This is not my words. Jesus said this. I did not come to bring peace to the earth. I came to bring division. I came to bring the sword. Amen. <laughs> Jesus, like we have this weird misconception of who Jesus is. And, and we talked about a little bit last week. But when, whenever someone says, if Jesus was here, he would do. I listen really close to see if the next thing they say reveals to me if they even know Jesus at all. Because Jesus was kind of, let me just say this. I heard this also from Francis Chan, and we're winding down with this. When you read the Bible from cover to cover, which I've never done it the way he did it. He read it in 14 days from cover to cover. He said he has friends that did it in three days. Read the Bible from cover to cover in three days. That's a lot of reading, y'all. And then he used this example. Uh, uh, on three, everybody shout at me, what is your favorite movie? One, two, three. That's how you shout? That, that was a shout? That was so weak. Okay. On three, everybody shout at me your favorite movie. One, two, three. All right. My favorite movies are, like, I really like all the Avengers movies, and they're really long. Uh, think of a really long movie that you've watched. Now, think about it this way. If you watch that movie three minutes at a time from day to day, you watch it three minutes at a time, you're going to miss out on a lot. Because by the, by the time tomorrow comes and then you watch another three minutes, you forgot the last three minutes. And Francis Chan described that's what it's kind of like reading the Bible from cover to cover over the course of a year. You just kind of miss out on some stuff. So he said when he read it in 14 days, he said he caught a lot of stuff he never saw before. And what he caught was this. This is the main takeaway. He said all the prophets and God's people from the Old Testament, all the way up to Jesus and the disciples and the apostles in the New Testament, he said the one thing I noticed is they all said the same things. It was all the same message. From beginning to end. And then he said this. He said, I look around and so many pastors don't sound like them. It was one message from cover to cover. And so anytime I'm preaching and it doesn't sound like what they said, then the fault is not theirs, but the fault is mine. This book says what it says. And I'm not supposed to add anything to it, and I'm not supposed to take anything away from it. I'm supposed to look at it, and what it says is what it says. And so many Christians, we try to do that in our daily lives. We want to add to the Bible what we want to do, or we want to take out of the Bible what we don't want to do. But you can't add to it that way. It says what it says, and these holy men of old, they just said it, even some of them facing death. They said what it said, and they were willing to die for what the Bible said. It has a theme that goes all the way through it. And, 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 and we have to, when it comes to this relationship with God, I'm getting off my topic just a little bit, but this has just been on my heart really strong. You can't have this relationship with God and live outside of his word. Amen. 
Real quick, guys, and I'm closing with this. Every relationship has its rules, and you're not in any relationship that doesn't have its rules. Amen. There's rules to the friendships that you have with your friends. Amen. One day you're going to get married. In order for that marriage to work, there's rules. I, I'm married to Rachel, and there's rules I live by so that marriage can be healthy and prosperous. One of the rules is I don't get to step out on my wife when I want to step out on my wife. That relationship doesn't work. If I step out on her, it doesn't work if she steps out on me. The relationship doesn't work if we stop communing. There's rules that hold this relationship together. And when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, there's rules that hold it together. And when you live outside of those rules, the relationship falls apart. The church has done a really bad job of saying, you're not, there's, don't worry about the rules, you're in a relationship. But the only reason this relationship works is when you live by his rules. It's the only reason it works. And so we've got to come. One of his rules is, is don't sow discord among the brethren. So I'm not going to talk bad about this person or that person. I'm not going to be a distraction of this person or that person. I don't want to sow discord among my brothers. Because guess what? Somebody in the room tonight, maybe you don't, but somebody here may need a miracle from God. Amen. Don't ask them to look at your Snapchat or your TikTok. They need a miracle. Don't sow discord. Bring harmony and unity into the house of God so everybody can receive from God what they need. There are things, listen to me now, there are things that are displeasing to God. And it's important that we know those things so we can rid our lives of them. So we can engage in this relationship that Jesus died to give us. Amen? Amen? If you would, just close your eyes real quick and bow your heads. I want to challenge you tonight. Make your life about him and not about you.